This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 46. But I say these are our norms. These are our non-negotiables. And one of those non-negotiables is that students have to produce every day. What are they producing? And in, 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 in an opportunity, because one of the other norms is to engage with their peers. So I want to be able to interact. I want to be able to communicate in a meaningful way and produce something new with the information that I've learned that day. Like those are two of the non-negotiables. And it's like, if, if that's happening, then I know that students are going to be engaged. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. everyone this is ken Herman, host of the powered up podcast and i am here with my co-host mr matt the frolfer rogers matt i'm going to throw you for a loop here i did not tell you this we had an amazing show we had an amazing conversation that we did not want to end and we continued to extend even when we were skipping sections of our show so it made me think of when you know you have great centers planned for your classroom and they're going to take a little bit longer than they normally do. And so you have to blast through the anticipatory set of your lesson to jump right into the centers. So we're going to do that right now. I'm giving you 30 seconds. I will cut you off. Give me anything that you want to point out about what's fantastic about tonight's interview. Go. So I think the tonight's interview really covers the idea of teaching in an environment that you want to teach in. And we hear from an administrator that creates an environment that is every place that I'd want to work for. It's all about creativity, the idea of engagement, the idea of taking risks and, and kind of not, not necessarily apologizing. Oh, no, 10 seconds. Um, but also, I think the last part, which we extended the conversation on, which is treating others the way that uh, or creating an environment where kids learn how to be real citizens is probably the, the way that I would put it. Definitely. So I really wanted to give you a minute. So I told you 30 seconds and oh. you did it in 40 seconds. That was pretty good. All but right. yeah, our, our interview with, with tonight with Charles is just, it's fantastic. He's a, he's a great principal, you know, he's gone through the ranks of education and we dive into so many different topics, like you said about risk-taking and then, and then turning it to the equity piece as well. So this is, this is one to listen to, for inspiration, for key ideas, and to share with your leaders. So if you're a teacher listening to this, you know, first of all, please share this out. Second of all, please leave us some comments, ratings, reviews. We know you're listening. We, we see the stats. We want to hear from you. What do you like about our show? What do you want us to change? What do you want us to do different? But share this with a leader too, because Charles is an inspirational one for, for principals and district administrators to tune into. So without any further delay, let's jump into that interview with Charles. Hi, Charles. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share this space with you. 
Absolutely. We're really excited to jump into this conversation with you. So to kick things off, please officially introduce yourself, share with us where you're coming from, and just a, kind of a brief snapshot of what your career in education has looked like. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting, right? It is, uh, time goes on. That, that brief snapshot's a little harder. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am coming from Northwest Indiana, though I am a current principal in Chicago. Uh, so I have been in education for a little over 15 years now. Uh, I have served as a teacher, uh, mentor and lead teacher, an assistant principal and a principal. I've been a principal for the last, I want to say it's now eight years. Um, you know, just doing a lot of work in this area. So, you know, I always wanted to see how I could expand my reach. And so, you know, that's why I went from teacher to administration. And so from administration, I am now, I have a podcast. I'm the host of uh, uh, the Counter Narrative podcast. I co-host a web show for educational leaders called Inside the Principal's Office. Uh, I just wrote a book. Uh, well, co-wrote a book, I should say. I can't take all the credit. That That book is coming later. Um, and I've launched a consulting company. So I, I do workshops and speak at conferences. And so a lot of different things, just, you know, always trying to say, like, how can I make my impact in the world of ed bigger before my time here is done? That's great. That's, that's really, it's really inspiring to see teachers who, who take action, who take responsibilities outside of the classroom, whether it be coaching all the sports teams or volunteering for every, you know, club or committee that that happens in the school. What do you find as, you know, you clearly have these traits with everything that you you've taken on and and worked for in your career? What do you find is common between those teachers that I'm sure you have in your building or that you've worked with in the past? What is it that those teachers possess that other teachers can strive for or can do to, you know, do more than just what our normal responsibilities are, which as teachers is always daunting. But, you know, how can, how can we take it one step further? Yeah. So well, one thing is be single and don't have children. Uh, that always <laughs> helps. Uh, not that I was either, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I just think it's, I think a lot of times it stems from your passion, right? It, it's this desire. And, and I don't want to exclude the teachers who are like, well, I'm passionate, but I go home at four, right? Like, no, but there's just this this desire to do more, right? You know that there's no way, you know, I was, when I taught, I was in the middle school, high school. So I didn't have a group of kids all day long. I, I had you for 40 minutes, 50 minutes. And I was like, I, I can never do enough in that amount of time. So I was always looking for opportunities of how can I do more with you? So yeah, I, I was uh, uh, the, what do they call it? A sponsor for the, the, the Dan, uh, Spanish club even though I'm not even Hispanic, but I was like, sure, I'll do it. Right. I, I was, I taught them how to do this tangle for this dance club. Like I was just, even if I didn't know what I was doing, it was an opportunity for me to connect with my students. Right. And we, we talk a lot, especially now about building relationships and rapport. And that's what I looked at. Like it was an opportunity to get to know my students on a whole nother level. And so I even do the same thing now with my staff. We do this thing called teach plus one. So I ask my staff at least run one thing during the year, whether it's one quarter, whether it's a semester, whatever, whatever it is, run one thing and just take that time to share your passions and connect it with the students' passions. And it changes the entire dynamic of the school. And I think 
for those teachers who are hesitant, I, I maybe it's it's a sense of pressure or duty or an obligation, but maybe to shift that mindset and say this is a chance for me to build those relationships, and it makes your job so much easier when a kid walks into your classroom and they know, hey, like you love anime, I and, and we have that connection now. Like more than likely, that kid's not going to be a problem in your class, right? And so you look at it as an investment, right? In, in the work that you're doing, it just, it makes your life easier, one, if that's what you're looking for, but it makes it that much more, I think, impactful and richer if, if you know, if nothing else. Would yeah. you say, sorry, Matt, I, I want to jump, because I'm actually going to throw this to you. We, we talked about this, I think not on the recording last week, Matt, but about how you've been in a position now for for I think eight years teaching fourth grade, and you finally feel like you're in a spot where you can be a great teacher, but not take home three hours of work because you've been in it. You Innovating is a little bit easier. You're still updating your craft and you're still bringing the best product to your students, but you are, you understand the content at a much, much more meaningful level. So kind of throw this to both of you. Either of you can jump in. How can we help teachers become more efficient in their positions so that they feel like they can take on that plus one. Because I, I think teachers don't always recognize the need for being efficient and more productive, not to say they're not working hard, but just working smarter, not harder. So Matt, what are ways you found that? And then Charles, I'll let you, let you jump in too. Well, I think Charles, what you said, and then I'll get into the question. What you brought up is we almost have this impending feeling that we're responsible the later we get into our career to start acquiring more. Like I taught five years of special ed and then moved to regular ed happened that myself and a brand new teacher were joining fourth grade. So that kind of led me when I switched positions to say, you know what, I have more experience. I need to take on this opportunity and being partnered with a new teacher it was almost like I needed to display to them what the life of teaching is. And the life of teaching is so much more than just the scope and sequence of instruction. And that's at least how I feel that when I, when I kind of got that responsibility, I viewed myself as almost the head teacher of that grade level, right? If someone's going to ask what the the reference point or what fourth grade was thinking, I had to be prepared. Um, but it felt very much like I needed to expand my stamina without stretching it too thin. Like I didn't want to go hollow and not give answers that I couldn't back up. And there are definitely times that as you accept these roles, um, whether it's efficient or not, Ken, right? Directly to your question, I can give an efficient, direct answer, yes or no, and we can be done with it. But I think that that key is how do you acquire more and more stamina to handle the next thing, but also recognize when too much is too much, uh, which doesn't answer either part of the question. But I, th I think that was my thinking, Charles, honestly, from, from your end, going from that regular ed teacher in the high school where you taught for 40 minutes, you probably had ridiculously well-planned 40-minute lessons that you've repeated a few times and that led into being able to you have your curriculum down that's probably a passion point for you already then go into the lead teaching go into the mentoring go into the assistant principal that assistant principal is 
a shock to the system, much like from assistant principal to head principal, a shock to your system. But they talk about the first 90 days being the hardest days where you just acquire the stamina, but also the know-how of how, how to handle that position. So I don't know how you want to go from that, but that's my my perspective. I think I've been doing this long enough in fourth grade, at least, that the curriculum side, the behavior, what I can expect maturation-wise is not new. I have my curriculum. I have enough that if I don't want to build something brand new, at the end of the day, I can kind of tap into a really good lesson that I've taught before and be able to survive. Um, so when it comes to efficient, it just, it, it's that, you know what, I feel like I have a really good pulse in my class. I'm going to try something and I've done this long enough that I can do it off the top of my head, which is probably not what you can do, Charles, in your position now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Matt, I, I'd have to agree with you. Like, I think key is figuring out, am I ready for that? Right. Don't overstretch. Don't, you know, sometimes we're overzealous. I'm that guy. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then I look and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Right. And so it's not for everyone, but I think, you know, speaking from the viewpoint of a leader, if that is something that I want my teachers to do, then it is also my job to make sure that I'm not overloading you as a teacher. Right. Like if I want you to run an after school program, I have to be cognizant to say, am I am I giving you too much during the day to where you're exhausted and now you don't want to do an after school program? And I sit there like, well, why aren't you doing an after school program? So it's, you know, coming from, you know, this position, you know, operating the entire school, it's how do I streamline processes and procedures so that way you as a teacher can be more effective? How, you know, you can be more efficient to where now you feel comfortable saying, hey, you know what, I don't mind, you know, staying after on a Tuesday or, you know, twice a week, whatever it may be, and, and doing this extra thing, because I know, like, these systems are in place that, you know, it's going to be okay at the end. But I absolutely agree, Matt, like, don't, don't jump into something just because and before you're ready, like, I will respect a teacher much, much more who says, look, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still figuring this out. Can I can I do this? How can you help me so that way I can get there instead of just being a yes man and saying, yeah, sure, let me do it. And then watching it just completely collapse because you weren't ready. So, you know, there's definitely that communication. It's understanding where you are and having the confidence to say yes or no to an opportunity. Well, and just to kind of add off that, I feel like from your end, this plus one perspective, I think is awesome. The The perspective I would, I'd almost use my favorite thing that I bring up with Ken, the technology with new content, like situation, that dilemma, how do you incorporate both of those? If you're starting something from scratch, make sure it's a passion project that you already care a ton about. If you're just assisting, like you're assisting the Spanish program, make sure it's already up and running that you're just monitoring and supporting, right? Like we can either fill both roles. I, I can think back to my high school years. There were clubs that I started from scratch and I had the support of someone that knew the subject matter was willing to dive in because it was what they were working on outside of their school hours. On the flip side, when I did yearbook or whatever, a radio station, right? These type things, 
that was a well-oiled machine. The guy just had to sign off on checks for materials and make sure that the schedule was set, right? Like both of those are very valuable. And so maybe going it, it's intimidating to go into something well-functioning and continuing that process or being responsible for it. But starting from scratch takes a ton of responsibility. We're doing something right now in our elementary school on disc golf. Why are we doing it? Because it's a great COVID-friendly experience that where we live is an awesome array of options around us that our kids have no clue about. Why am I totally fine pouring hours into it? Because I'm doing it on the weekends already. It's not a big deal. It's just an excuse of how I can do it with kids. It's a perfect marriage between both of those things. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You know, I, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the concept of like, uh, you know, like the genius or zone of genius, right? And so that's exactly what my goal for this Teach Plus One is. It's operating in a space where you're getting fulfilled. And so it's not like I have to do this other thing. You get to do this other thing. Right. And so you you walk away at the end of the day feeling that much more empowered and enlivened. And you're like, I love what I do because, yeah, like you said, it's an excuse to have a little bit of fun and do something that you're passionate about. And and sorry, Ken, that was like a long response. Yeah, but but I mean, there's nothing like going to your kid's first event um, and then going to school the next Monday like they just absolutely see you totally differently. And it's just unbelievable to be in that room when they're like, my teacher came, whether it's I went to the uh, the football game or whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter. I went to a dance recital in the elementary school. It's 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 a beautiful thing to see that Monday morning because all that outside work makes a huge difference in the classroom as well. You've just gained an ally and whether it's someone that was already going to be an ally or someone that you need to kind of pull onto your side, it has huge dividends in the classroom. I'll say that from a teacher side. Do you feel like that's the same thing from the administrative side as well? Or how do you portray that message to your teachers? Yeah, so I, I so I absolutely agree with you, right? When I was a teacher, I did it, and you're right, it, it helped build those relationships. And I still do it as an administrator. I, I make sure that I'm out at events, and not just because you know, oh, the principal is supposed to, but I will go to things that people aren't expecting me, and it does, and it builds connections not just with my students, but with my families and my school community. They they view you as invested, and it helps. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, I don't work and live in the same community. I am 43 miles away from my community. But the fact like on a Saturday morning, I'm there for that community event, it just tells them like, this guy loves us. He, he, he cares about us and he's doing these things. Um, you know, it just, I don't know. I, I think it just kind of echoes that sentiment that when we do this work, it's dual. It's a, there's a duality, right? We're, we're pouring into the students and we're getting back from that. But then we're also getting to live within our purpose. And so we're being fulfilled. I don't mind. I, I, my, I know my wife is like, why do you do all of these different things? And it's like, yeah, some people might view it as a chore, but I really enjoy like, yeah, we're going to go to this basketball game, this dance recital, whatever it may be. Right. So it, it's definitely a give and take. 
Yeah, it is. And and I think one of the keys, and it's it's obvious just hearing you talk about it, is is being genuine about it. And it's the same when you're establishing relationships in the classroom. It pays dividends on your ability to instruct the students, your classroom management, and making the gesture is part of it, but also being genuine about it is is key as well. So um, I want to I want to kind of transition the conversation here and and take advantage of having a, a, an experienced teacher and administrator here with us. So what is something that when you're walking through classrooms, whether it's a, an official observation or you're just kind of you're just torn around the school and you're popping your head in and out? What are things that you look for that tells you that students are genuinely engaged in the content and in the lesson? Uh, it's something that is a big topic in my district right now. I think coming out of the online COVID era, everybody's seeing more of a need for the engagement piece. And it was always there, but I, I think it kind of really gleaned light onto how disengaged students can be at times. And, you know, so what are those things that you look for for students that are are genuinely engaged in a lesson and, and, and valuing the content that they're learning. Yeah, so I, I'm in my classrooms all the time. So I think the very first thing is if they don't realize that I've come into the room, uh, that's the first thing. Because normally when I walk in, I, I apologize to teachers, especially with my babies, right? I, I just saw you five minutes ago. And then when you see me, it's like, oh my God, Mr. Wood, like you just saw me. Um, but so that's the first thing. I, I think the other part is I want to know when I when I'm chatting with you because I don't just sit there and watch like I jump into the activities. And so I love listening to them explaining to me not just what they're doing, but like that that reason why. Right. It's really easy to say, oh, well, we're blah, blah, blah. Like, OK, but what is the purpose of this? And they start explaining it. Oh, well, did you know? And they're sharing and they're fascinated. And I could see that excitement in them. Right. That tells me more. I'm not looking for the objective written on the board. Right. I never, and this is just me, I never ask to see your lesson plan when I pop in, right? Because I want to see it, like not the paper. I want to see it happening live. And teachers can put on a show. And I'll be honest, like if you do put on a show, like kids let us know that. Like that's like, they're like, wait, why are you doing that all of a sudden? Right? But my thing is I jump into these activities with kids and I'm watching how they're interacting with whatever materials. And, and that tells me whether or not they're engaged, right? If they're, I mean, obviously there's signs like my head's, are, my head's down or I have no idea what's happening, clear signs. But then you also have compliance, right? I'm doing this because you told me to do it, but I really don't care or have any interest. And that becomes very clear in just having conversations. But it's when I see that, that them light up, you know, and they get to share and they're excited to share. That tells me you're engaged. Right. And I mean, I don't know. I, I think it just all depends. There, There's times I don't see it and I'll try to pop out because I know I, I'm coming into lessons at different times. So I'll, I'll leave, you know, I kind of do around and I'll try to come back later and see. And, you know, I'll, I'll share that with the teacher like, hey, you know, they, they weren't really feeling it. Like, what could you have done a little bit differently? Right. Like I I've shared with teachers sometimes when I've done observations and this is horrible. I'm like, but if I'm bored, the kids are bored. Like, and I have, I know it's not a good thing, but if I start to fall asleep during your observation, like that's a bad thing. Like, I don't need you to just go through the steps. I want you to get creative. I want you to have fun. But going back to that last question, right? If you built those relationships with your students, whether it was through the, the after school program or whatever it may be, you know how to make that lesson interesting and engaging. But 
you can't do that if you're just coming in and teaching the lesson and leaving at the end of the day and not making any attempt to connect with your students. Yeah, and I think when you when you establish those genuine relationships, you can actually you can have a more successful compliance lesson because you can, I, I mean, I would say to the kids, listen, this isn't going to be the best lesson of the day, but we have to do this because here's why it's going to make us more successful when we get to, to this point, right. when that's, when that's not common and you have that relationship, you can kind of like grind through those necessary, you know, mm-hmm. for lack of a better, better term, boring lessons that you have. There's no way around it, especially when it's, when it's a rare occasion. So, so thinking about those, those conversations that you're having with students, because I always enjoyed watching administrators in my classroom have those conversations with my students and, and watching the reaction of the, of the administrators being impressed by how well a 10-year-old is speaking about what they're doing or what they're learning. What are some commonalities you see in the style of the lesson or the structure of the classroom where you know, you know, when you go into Mr. Rogers classroom, like you're probably going to have great conversations with kids. Like what are those consistencies and commonalities you see across different teachers that create those environments for the students to thrive like that? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing is an opportunity for kids to be engaged with their learning. Um, you, you, you're right there. There's those lessons that like, it sucks. Like today we're doing, we're lacing up the skates, but tomorrow we get to go out on the ice. Right? right. So it's that's a great analogy. that 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 lecture, you know, that board, like, don't just sit there and speak to them. And if that's the type of teacher you are, I, I don't think kids are going to be that engaged. So normally, when I know the classes that I'm walking into are opportunities where kids are, and that I was the same way, I want to be able to do like you told me about it, but let me get to do it. And let me be able to explain it and engage with my peers. A majority of the time, and I tell my teachers this all the time, this is how I used to teach. I'm a facilitator of learning. I'm giving you a skill or I'm giving you some information, but I'm letting you run wild with it. And, and that's what I want to be able to see. I, I, you know, I know it may sound cliche, but, you know, coming in where it's like desks are in rows, right? Or I'm just, I have worksheets, you know, or I'm just taking notes from a PowerPoint. Like that's not engagement, right? I want, I know it's going to be good when I know that students get to, well, I, I, not to keep using the word engage, but to get to engage with the material. I mean, that's it's it's pretty simple. And and that could look a variety of ways, you know, depending on the content, depending on the skill that you're learning. But I need to be able to produce. In fact, we have like norms. So I tell all my teachers, there's a lot of autonomy in my school. I'm not the one on the front line. I'm not the one in the classroom. I'm not doing the lessons. So I give my teachers a lot of autonomy on how they get to the end. But I say, these are our norms. These are our non-negotiables. And one of those non-negotiables is that students have to produce every day. What are they producing? And in, 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 in an opportunity, because one of the other norms is to engage with their peers. So I want to be able to interact. I want to be able to communicate in a meaningful way and produce something new with the information that I've learned that day. Like those are two of the non-negotiables. And it's like, if, if that's happening, then I know that students are going to be engaged. And you can't have it the other way. Like if they're not engaged, they're not doing those things. You know, it's at least that's what I've learned in my time in in teaching and as an administrator. To kind of tap into that, I mean, we're all pretty familiar with Danielson model. And uh, when first looking at the Danielson model, I used to think that that was a class that almost operated as a teacher wasn't needed to be there at all. They 
got open the textbook, they read the pages, they just inherently knew what to do. They answered the questions, they put on a play, they did like they solved a world problem. That was what the Danielson model was. And when first introducing that earlier in my career, I recognized that, or I thought it was unrealistic to have a classroom that was well-functioning and in the kids' hands. And in the last few years, Ken will be the, the model of this, uh, the constant drive to put the ownership on the kids when appropriate, regardless of the age level. I think I'm at a benefit. Ken and I are both in a benefit in fourth and fifth grade classrooms where, you know, an administrator coming from the middle school or high school doesn't expect them to be as capable as they are. But also the administrator that spent time in kindergarten can't believe how much growth happened between that range and to our level. So I'll say that I'm the complete benefit of that factor. But going back to the Danielson model, it seems like we've taken a shift to that being a realistic environment of what we're all striving for. And we all know, just like in the uh, we don't all live in distinguished, we also don't live in the Danielson model. But there are times that you can pull out the best version of that for each and every lesson, whether it's the environment, whether it's the preparation, whether it's the in-class experience, all of those features where the kids should be able to come in and you set routines that, you know, with the first five math minutes of math are known or what homeroom looks like. You can have them come in and legitimately not need to say anything because they all have a system in place that they get accomplished. I think one of the, the components that I'm always fascinated by an administrator with a teacher, you know, in that scenario, one of the things that we always hear is I want to have more impact in classrooms. That's why I moved up to a bigger position. I want to affect more kids or I want to train teachers to be better at their role. But in that situation, you're asking them to take risks, to feel uncomfortable, to do these things that may not be natural to them. How do you balance a conversation where you actually have teacher training that you'd like to impart, but also be sensitive to their emotional status because you are a supervisor, the dynamics of the classroom that you don't see all all day, every day, those type attributes of how do you lead towards a classroom you know is where we want to be, but also respect where they're at at that moment. So, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned this. So at the beginning of every year, so I started doing this, I think three years ago now, um, somebody was talking about like, you know, people stop waiting for permission and just do, right? And you keep hearing it over and over again. And so I took the opposite route. I said, well, if people are going to keep asking for permissions, I'm going to just give them permission at the beginning of the year. So I came up with my principal permissions, right? And there, there's five of them. And so like the first one is like, I was like, no, I want you to be like innovative. You have permission to be innovative. If you find a workshop or something, a conference, something that you want to do, please come and see me. And I'm going to try my very best to make that thing happen. And then so therefore, then I also then want you to uh, to take risks because I'm guessing you've learned something. So now I want you to take some risks. And the third one then is I, I give you permission to fail. And that's a huge one. And you can't just say it. A lot of people say it. Well, yeah, you have permission to fail. 
but I need to let my teachers know that. And it takes time, just like teachers with their students, you build the relationships and things like that. I need to build that time to show them if you struggle, like I've got you. Let's sit down and have a conversation about what went wrong. How could you have done things different? And so I've redone my entire evaluation system where it's not punitive at all. It is a growth uh, evaluation system, just like what we're trying to build with students. Because it blows my mind that we do things for kids, but then we don't do it for our teachers. So I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to, that's how we're going to operate because that's what I want you to do for your kids, right? You got to model it. Uh, the, the, la the fourth one is I, I give you permission to have fun, right? Like don't be so worried about all the things that could potentially go wrong because a lot of times what we know is in that mess is when the best learning takes place. So have a little bit of fun, right? Like step outside of your comfort zone and see what happens. And then the last one is just permission to love, right? Love on your kids appropriately, of course, right? But to build those relationships. So I say that at the beginning of the year, like you have my permission to do these things. And it's it's interesting because I, I remember a group of teachers, they went off to a workshop. It was, um, it was around Minecraft. And they were like, uh, there's this pilot that they were running. And we were just wondering if the school could join it because we think it would be really great for the kids. And I was like, yeah, no, like, I think that would be great if you guys think that it's, a, you know, going to have some benefits. Let's try it out. Let's see what happens. They're like, OK, good, because we already signed us up. And I started laughing. They're like, we figured you were going to say yes, but we just thought we'd ask. And it was like in that moment that I realized, like, yeah, they know, like, it's OK. It's OK to do these things. And so I hope, Matt, like to go back to your question I've realized it's easy for a principal to say, I want to see X, Y, and Z. I, I believe this is the, these are the things that should be happening in a school. But you have to create, like I said earlier, those systems and procedures to make that happen. right? I, I have to let them know we're not going to get there by accident. you got to take risks. You're going to have to build some things. And I'm not going to punish you. As you mentioned, like the... Um, the exemplary or the level fours or whatever it may be. I don't do that anymore. I said, what is your goal for the year? Where do you want to grow as a teacher? And let's work together to make that thing happen. And at the end of the year, we, we check in on it. Did you reach your goal? Right? Did you get better? And if you didn't, right, it's as much as my fault as it is yours. So now we say, well, what can we do differently next year? I'm not going to punish you for not making your goal. Like that's, that's ridiculous. And it's the same thing, right? What I believe we should be doing with our kids. We talk about a growth mindset all the time, but do we actually live within that? Right. And so that's just, I mean, that's how I approach it. And luckily I'm in a, I'm in a single site charter school. So I've been with my, uh, my company for geez, nine years now. I didn't even realize it's been that long. Uh, but they let me kind of, they let me go, right? Because the results are there. And so this is kind of like I mentioned earlier, now what I hope to formulate in other spaces. And I know not all districts or all leaders or teachers have, you know, that autonomy, but this is, I believe, what we need to create if we really want to see education be transformed. And so it's what I do. My, my school is my, my sandbox. It's my playground. And that's just the most beautiful perspective. I mean, I think it's that classic, like a uh, player's coach or coach's coach. Like it is the, you are a teacher's principal of every attribute. Like 
this you are the type of leader that you're like, hey, I have free reign to be creative and create a classroom that I envisioned when I was a freshman in college deciding that I was going to go into education, right? Without those limitations, the red flags, the diving deep into curriculum to know what the expectations are before I really cared about the state testing, all of those things weather creativity out of us, um, which then in part weathers it out of the kids as well. By creating those, and I love those five principles, I think that is phenomenal. Um, simple, straightforward, but just it's the best way to perceive, to associate how education should run. But I would also imagine that you needed to do some work with your community to kind of the parents and the staff even to kind of pull in that, you know what, I'm giving them these leniences. I'm, I'm giving, you know what, this may not sound that they should be doing Minecraft in school. Uh, they may not, it may not sound that this should be a priority. Just trust us that it's all good or that I'm taking the, the hit if it's, oh, but we didn't do our two and a half hours worth of core instruction. We infused it with 3D modeling instead. Those type things. What do you do to get your families and community on your side to allow, I mean, they're the stakeholders, right? They're the ones that really you need to, in the business model, appease. The product in the long run usually does it for you, but seeing it in the foresight in that moment beforehand is the challenge. So what do you do with community specifically? You know, so I'll, I'll be honest, like it, it freaks people out and you know it wasn't from the ground running right we we had teachers we had students and families who left because they're like this guy i don't know what he's up to i mean i was the third principal in three years when i came in and so that they were weary about me then um you know they were weary about these newfangled ideas that i had um and so we, we did have some who left but i think what was helpful is that i remained consistent right i said this is why i'm here I told them then, I said, I'm coming in, I have a I have a goal for the school, and I'm not leaving until we reach that point. And I kept being consistent with my message everywhere I went. I Like I mentioned earlier, I embedded myself in every aspect of the community that I possibly could and consistently communicated that. Um, so, you know, it, it helped because people knew who I was and what I was about, but it didn't really take hold until they started seeing those results, right? And when I came in and I share this story all the time, my school was slated to close. That's why they brought me in. They were like, we're hoping that you could do something about this. Um, the first year did not go according to plan because I, I went textbook, right? Like I did everything that you're supposed to do and nothing changed. And so that's when we said, we got to do things differently. And that was the year that was probably the, the, the roughest because they were like, we're supposed to go this way. The textbook says we're supposed to go this way and you're going that way. Like, how are we going to end up where we're supposed to be? And I said, trust me. And a lot of people are like, no, I'm not going to trust you. Like, I need a job. I need security. Like, I'm going to go somewhere else. And the few who did and we, we, we wrote it out and we saw these beautiful results. And all of a sudden, those families who left, they're, they're coming back and they're like, oh, wait, like there, there's some amazing things happening. 
So I think my, my the, the biggest takeaway and the thing that I share with people, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not easy. It's not pretty. You know, it, it sounds great now, but during that time, I mean, I, I to be honest, I didn't even know if it was going to work. I, I felt it. I, I, I believed in it. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. It makes sense, right? It, it's not written about these are things that you can't really measure. But as an educator, it's like these things make sense. And if I'm going to fail, then I'm going to fail doing the things that I believe in and the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I like I think should be happening, right? And so I did it. And it, it definitely paid off where... You know, in, in hindsight, I was like, had I done everything that I was supposed to do, like the school wouldn't be open anymore. Right. And so I don't know, I think as a leader, you just you have to be consistent. And I know my my dean and I, uh, you know, I don't know if he'll listen to this, but we butted heads. He was at the school for years before I came in and he he loved the kids. He loves the school and he he was weary of me. And so when I started doing all these different things, he was very like, no, no. And now we are like, we are yin and yang. Like we, we, we operate together beautifully. And that's what he told me. He said, we know what we're going to get. You, you are consistent. We, we know who you are. We know why you're here. Um, and I think that is the most powerful thing. It's like, like I, I haven't changed over the last six years in this building, you know, and we've done some crazy things, but you know why. And that's always important. You know, the why the purpose behind the actions. So I'm sorry, some of my responses are long. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I love it. What I what I love about what I've been hearing with our, our last two pieces that you've been sharing is you were talking about how you want teachers to take risks with their students. So you created an environment for them to feel as though they could take risks you know, with those, those upfront permissions. But then you followed that up by saying you have the support of your superiors to have autonomy in your building. Well, they're providing you that same atmosphere to be able to take those risks. You know, it's, it's a top-down model that's working because you're all following in the same, you're all traveling in the same direction of you want people to take risks. You want them to do what they think is best for students or for teachers or for a principal. And, you know, it, it creates a unity in, in that direction you're going. And, and it just follows up to what you just shared about going the way that you're not supposed to, according to the textbook. And, and I'm in an interesting position as a coach where I get to see a lot of conversations at the classroom level, the building level, the district level. And a lot of times I think like we're all not traveling in the same direction. You know, we're talking about this instructional strategy, but we're taking this approach from a leadership perspective. They, they conflict. You're not modeling. You're not. You're not following exactly what you want to see happen in the classroom, and, and you're you're speaking to how when all of that is in line, it creates such a a, a great result. Um, and so, you know, I would assume assessments, data, state tests, something in there is going to fall in that line of of some of what was a problem before and what you know you could measure success now. How do you? What is your relationship and perspective on that that data piece from your pers from your position, but also how your teachers and students are interacting with data and assessments and and how that plays into the classroom? You know, so data is super important, right? I mean, it it you know you always talk about like data driven. I, I don't say I, I say data informed, right? So you need to have that data. Um, the the part that bothers me is when it's like high stakes, standardized. You know, like that's the part that bothers me. 
I have no issue with assessments. I have no issue with collecting data because that's what lets you know, is this thing working or not? It's when you say, okay, everything is going to boil down to this one assessment, right? That's, that's where I have that issue. And so I think kind of just anchoring all conversations in data, like when I, so I meet with my teachers and again, this is just how I approach things. So I meet with clusters every two weeks. So if you're in fifth grade, I'm meeting with you twice a month and I'm just saying, how are things going in your classroom? But you can't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're good. Like, show me the data. What data ha do you have that can show me whether things are going well or not? And again, nothing is ever punitive. It's if it's going great, great. What are you doing and how can we continue that? And if it's not going so well, what can we change to fix that? Right. And so teachers get really comfortable talking about data and utilizing data um, as they're, you know, from anything from, you know, formative assessments to, you know, to summative assessments. But it's also having this idea of students need to know where they're at. And so I'm really big. I, and I used to do this with my own students of, do you know where you're at? So can you track your own progress? Can you track your own growth? I mean, so we utilized map growth a lot, right? And so it's like, okay, well, I'm at a 189. Okay, my goal is, I don't know, 195 or whatever. Well, okay, but what does that mean? What do you need to do to get there? Well, here are these skills. Well, have you mastered those skills? Like, let's have a chart on your table. Like here are your skills. And as you're working on your skills, are you, mar you know, uh, tracking your progress? Because now students know like, Hey, I'm still struggling on this skill. Like now you know where to focus. And to me, that's what data does. It just tells you what you need to focus on in order to get to that goal. And I remember sitting in interviews, um, you know, in between and they're like, well, how did you get these great results when the rest of the district was struggling? I was like, well, data like it's pretty straightforward right we we assess our students we take those numbers, and we we kind of figure out what we need to do but it's not and again it's just for me it's not data is not the scary thing assessments aren't the scary thing it's when you utilize those tools to be punitive it's when you utilize them as high stakes and it just right when we when we think about I guess, data, right? It's not just paper and pencil, right? How are your students showing you that they understand the materials? And, you know, Matt, I think you referenced this earlier. We do a lot of things that are um, convenient to us, but because they're convenient to us, we place barriers for our students. So yeah, it's a lot easier for me to give you a Scantron, right? Do we still use Scantrons? Um, <laughs> then, you know, it's like, okay, well, choose, you know, like whatever, we've read this novel, how are you going to demonstrate your understanding of the, the theme of this novel to me? Well, you know, I, I want to create a sculpture. Like that is a vastly different rubric from the kid who loves to write and wants to write an essay, vastly different from the kid who wants to create a multimedia presentation. But if they can demonstrate their understanding to you, then allow them to do that. It's our job to figure out, well, how do we take all of these different pieces and, and, and collect the data from that to say, yeah, the student has demonstrated mastery. It just, again, it bothers me because it, it makes sense. But in the bigger picture, there's that standardized assessment. Like, and how do we make that fit in there? Um, and sometimes it works. I mean, our kids have been showing some tremendous gains. And of course, then we hit the pandemic. But I remember we went from the 18th percentile in math to the 48th percentile in about three years. Um, you know, and it wasn't like we were doing 
something special or this like i don't know this secret recipe we just gave students an opportunity to engage with math in a variety of ways and the biggest pushback is like well that's not what they're going to see on the test like no but the skills are skills right like it, it's going to trans it's going to transfer in some capacity like i just i hate the fact like we do all this fun stuff and then at the end yeah, you got to take the standardized assessment. So one day, right, when when I'm ruling education, we'll change all of that. But We're looking forward to that moment. <laughs> Definitely. <isn't it? laughs> yeah, I think everybody is. And, you know, I, I often said, and I, I, this was advice given to me when I was very early in my career, a, a test grade should never be a surprise. No. You should no. never be surprised what a student scores on a test. And if you if you're running a classroom where students are are engaged and invested in themselves, they shouldn't be surprised either. And it was something that I really took serious. And you know, one it was for so the two sides of that. One, I needed to stay informed on my students. So constant check-ins, whether that's conferences, it's small group instruction, it's quick you know exit tickets, uh, for, formative assessments built into the center of the into the into the middle of the lesson. And then taking that one step further, it was how do I involve the students in it? So anytime I could use an online tool that was automatically grading for me to have that data quickly accessible, when appropriate and as often as possible, I made the, the data available to the students right away so they could see how they did. And so that they were informed and they were aware of how they're, of how they're doing on that particular skill. But then also involving them in, you know, okay, we have a we have a test coming up in social studies, or we have a project due in science. It's a week out. What are you going to do between now and then? What's your study plan? What's your work plan? Um, and I would have them, you know, look at. We would just kind of map out how many days are between now and then. And I would tell them, listen, if you have activities on Wednesday night where you don't have time, put an X through it. Don't study that night. You don't need to study for seven days. To be successful if you're if you're engaging in class and you're doing what I ask you to do in class. And so, you know, it got to the point where tests really weren't a surprise in my classroom. And I would have students that typically struggle, maybe they did a little bit better. And then the next unit, they fill out that sheet, they bomb the test, and I say, What happened? And they're like, I didn't do anything that I planned I was gonna do. Good. It wasn't a surprise. So, you know, that that piece of of data has such an important part in it. And I think so often teachers get bogged down by the word data and what it means and, and, and how it can really look in the classroom. So, you know, Matt, you're still in the classroom. How, how are you using data in your classroom and how are you, how are your students developing a relationship with their own data? Or what could you do different? I would say, uh, first off, I love data informed and I, when you bring up the question data and you're talking about it. Yeah, it's sending shivers down my spine um, because it's, it seems so um, sterile when talking about data. Like, I, I just want to sit there and justify and say, oh, this kid really tried or this kid was up late or got sick or has all these scenarios to justify their score. Um, because sometimes, I mean, we've all heard the statistics. You can make data reflect whatever you want it to. Um, but I think the most powerful way that I use data is goal setting for kids. Uh, they may not understand what this number, as you were saying, 185 to 196, they may not have an understanding of what that truly means, um, but they can at least 
recognize areas that they need to improve in that will lead to that. And one of my my favorite things to kind of pull from is, you know, when they get into the mucky, uncomfortable stuff, like almost to go full circle in this conversation, they're willing to go and run through walls because all the like, it's very evident in my classroom that we're not excited about standardized testing, but my kids usually do incredibly well even though it doesn't match what my classroom looks like the entire school year. And the reason why is because we created, as you mentioned, skills are skills. Learning is learning. You understand the concepts. Hopefully that we've done enough that you can diagram a question and identify what you need to answer in this very boring multiple choice question. But at the end of the day, my kids, because of the relationship that we've created, because of the learning environment, are willing to climb mountains, even if they are miserable mountains to climb at the end of the day because of their commitment, because of my commitment in them. And it's not that I'm enticing them. It, it, my scores, as you mentioned, Charles, it's kind of like if you do good teaching, and what the kids need, you don't really have to worry about it. I'm not saying ignore data. I'm just saying that there's an element of you can kind of take the pressure off yourself and say, it's really difficult to draw that line between, hey, I'm going to be really creative and, and try things out and say that's going to lead to success. But you just have to trust that that's how it's going to work. And that's probably the hardest point on your end to say like, hey, I'm going to justify this, but I don't know how to explain the correlation. It just, it's that intrinsic motivation paired with just good teaching and knowledge of skills. To answer your, Ken, your question, data right now in my room, as I mentioned, is goal setting. It's, you know what, I want to do better. I know that right now we're doing a program called Spring Math, and it is uh, a program that it covers um, multiplication, addition, subtraction, those type skills to the mastery level. And it's one of those things that, you know what, the goal is one more fact today than you had yesterday. And there's going to be dips and there's going to be big jumps and that that's natural but they graph every day, they record every day, they write what they had before, they know what they scored and they can view it. And that can be the way that they push forward. Um, but in, in all those things, like, I, I guess I am very detached from grades. I'm very detached from data, honestly, um, which hopefully doesn't come off wrong. But I just trust that, you know what, the curriculum director shows a curriculum that you guys believe in, or the administration has a program you believe in, I'm going to teach the heck out of it to fidelity as best I possibly can, leading to engagement. And I'm going to believe that it's going to lead in that scope and sequence to growth. You know, Matt, if I, if I may, so I, I find, I think it's interesting, as you mentioned earlier, the, the idea of coming up with like the, the reasons behind like the excuses. And, you know, I, I think, again, that stems from this, this fear of like that, that punitive, right? Like when we did assessments at the beginning of the year, our data was horrible, right? That's, and when I put it up, the teachers are like, yeah, but, but, you know, and I said, guys, like, I'm not upset. Like, I knew this was going to be the case and that's okay. I said, 
this isn't about who you are. This all this is doing is telling us what we need to do to get where we want to be. That's all this is. So you I don't need you to say, well, you know, you know, the pandemic and all, you know, like I get it. Like that's not what we're here for. But on the other side of that, you know, and I've I've heard this phrase, like they say, you know, if it's predictable, it's preventable. Right. Like if you know that this kid is always gonna like why? Like if they're if that data is always looking poorly, if that student's failing to why, like what we know it's going to happen. So what can we do differently? And that's all we talk about. It's 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 not about looking back and saying, oh, this is why this is why this is why. Like, what can we do now moving forward? What's done is done. And I think we spend a lot of time in education trying to, as you said earlier, trying to justify why we are where we are instead of just saying, OK, it is what it is. How do we move forward? Yeah, I I often relate it to, you know, if you're if you follow baseball at all or even, you know, some of the other sports now, you know, the <laughs> analytics versus the there you go, versus I got some bobbleheads over there. Uh versus the, you know, the old school coaches that say, Oh, I'll, just, I'll watch a guy for ten minutes and I'll tell you whether he's gonna be an all star or not. And, you know, I think anyone that can take a logical standpoint is the blend is where is where the magic is at. You use data to show you over time how a player performs or over time how a player fits into a lineup. But at the same time, you have to look at the whole picture. You have to know them as a player. You have to know what situations they're good in, all those different pieces. And it's the same with teaching. You know, teaching is an art. We have teachers that, you know, have been in this game for a long time well before there was consistent and meaningful and, you know, uh, relevant data. But at the same time, all right, let's take your craft. Let's take your expertise and let's just add in this component where you know a little bit more about your students and more relevant data and more recent and current data to really bring the, bring all the pieces together. So uh, normally we would jump into our, our lesson lens here, uh, Charles, but I actually, I know equity in education is a huge thing that you're passionate about. So honestly, I'd rather skip uh, the lesson lens for, for time's sake. And I'd rather talk about what I think is a much more important topic with, with equity in education. So why don't you just share with us you know, why that's a passion of yours and, and kind of you know, what direction you're taking that in? Yeah, so you know, the, the story I share all the time, I, I love it when I watch these like, keynotes and they're like, yeah, I was, that, I was that kid in detention. I was always in trouble and I wasn't. Like I was the epitome of what a student should be. Um, you know, I, I rocked it out, but I realized as I got into education, there was a reason for that. And that's because education, my experience was crafted for students like me, right? I had a lot of peers who are very gifted, very talented. I'm my, my brother in that same vein, but they struggled in school. And I, and I could never understand why it wasn't, you know, that they, that they didn't have talents or skills. It was that the system that we were in, the environment that we were in, wasn't built for them. And so when I became an educator, I said, that's not right. That's not fair. Like it shouldn't be built for just a few, you know, the small percentage of students. Um, how do we make sure that it's, you know, all students are being successful and, you know, I, it was a humbling thing. Like, yeah, I was really awesome, but in reality, I wasn't any better than anybody else. And so that was what I wanted to do. You know, as I got into education, I started with my bilingual students. That's where I started. And it's like, how do I make them fit? How do I make sure that they're successful? 
And again, as I just continued on, it was, again, that's what equity is about. How do we make sure that everybody has the tools in order so that they could be successful? And, and I, I just, I get so infuriated and frustrated when people say things, but it's again, out of convenience. I can't do something because it's not a convenience for me. It's like, it's not about you. Like we became educators to make sure students are successful. And we say that it's in all of our mission statements, all students, all students, all students. But when you sit there and say, well, I'm going to do this, you know, and, and I refuse to budge, then you're not living in that. You're saying, I'm okay making sure that this group of students are successful and sorry, the rest of you. If, and I'm sorry, like, no, I'm not, I'm not sorry. If that's who you are as an educator, then like, you are not an educator. You're failing what it is for us as pure educators of what it means. Like, that is why we entered into this craft, because we want every single student in our classroom to be successful. And so now I do this work, you know, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, the DEI, and just, I, I want to make sure, you know, if you are doing this work, that every single student's going to be, or I should say every student has the opportunity to be successful in your classroom. I mean, for whatever reason, they may not be, but if you've given them the opportunities, if you've opened those doors for every single student, then you're doing your job. And so that is really, right, what is launched, what I talked about earlier, like the, the counter narrative, like let's stop having all of these, I'm tired of the negative conversations around especially our marginalized groups like i said earlier the predictable it's preventable like stop saying like oh well they're the reasons they're the reasons like there's a lot of good happening and if we have this deficit mindset then that is how we're going to treat a group of students that's how those groups of students are going to view themselves like we need to we need to break that right so hence the you know the podcast right like it's just my my workshops i do a lot of you know speaking about these things it's just I don't know. It's just, it, it infuriates me that there are so many people out there who are like, yeah, no, I'm an educator. I believe all students, but do you really, do you really? And so, um, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question. I just started so, getting upset. So depending, <laughs> it, do, it, it does. And I, I love just seeing how passionate you are about it as a, as a teacher, depending where you are teaching your grade level, that group of students that might not fit the the mainstream of your classroom is very different. You know, by demographics, by, you know, just where you're mm -hmm. located, even, you know, in yeah. my district, we have seven elementary schools and, and the special ed um, programs are different by different elementary schools. So even in a small district, those programs are different, which creates a different dynamic in your classroom. So my question is, as a, as a classroom teacher, how do I step back and reflect on, on what I do to ask myself, am I delivering quality instruction to the the majority the 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 uh, model that most of the students fit or am I truly creating an atmosphere where all of my students have the opportunity for success is there anything that we can do to kind of reflect and and see that on ourselves so I mean Ken you're right I, I it starts I think with the reflection pieces um but I think the the more important it's okay to reflect, but I think one of the things that we have to understand is that we we all have these like implicit bias and it's really, really hard to recognize just kind of when I'm just sitting there internally, because I think, as we've mentioned earlier, there's this inherent need to kind of justify, right? Well, I'm doing, yeah, but 
So what I would always suggest is to, you know, and when I do this work with people, we, we do courageous conversations. Um, in fact, there's, um, now I'm trying to remember, there's a group out of San Francisco. I'm trying to remember their name. But if you're going to do this work, there's a card deck. Um, it's a deck of cards. Um, it's And, and I, I'll send it to you guys afterwards. So if you want to share it. Um, but it just really forces you to think about things. But it's when you're engaging in that conversation, a lot of times it's having that thought partner, somebody, I, I talk about having uh, brave conversations and safe spaces, right? So finding groups of individuals that you could have these very honest conversations with and for them to be able to call you out on things. And it's okay. Like, because if you're really intentional about saying, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right things, it's going to be messy. It's going to hurt. It's going to be rough. Like it's, it's not easy. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of times people talk about like, well, I want to make sure I'm ready. Like you're never going to be ready. Just dive in and you're going to make mistakes, but that's the only way you're ever going to make any sort of progress. And so reflections are good. And so there's a lot of things or tools out there, you know, where you could take tests or do things like that. But what I have found is we, we try to justify immediately because we don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to think that you know, that we could have these biases, but we do. So having that thought partner um, to be able to hold you accountable is, is huge. And so I know I'm, in my Twitter spaces and social media spaces, I have a bunch of thought partners and a bunch of different areas that I just say, hey, guys, like, this is something I'm struggling with right now. Like, give me feedback, right? And you have to be vulnerable enough to receive that. And then process that and say, how can I move forward with that? But it, it's it's definitely create, you know, having those those brave conversations in those safe spaces, because I think a lot of times we we like to have safe conversations in safe spaces. Um, I do a lot of Twitter chats, but a lot of Twitter chats are safe conversations in safe spaces because we're all like, oh, we're all friends and we're all saying the same thing. But go and go and have that truth truthful conversation and then bring it back to your safe space, right? Or, or step out into a, you know, into an uncomfortable space, a brave space and say, I'm going to try to do something a little bit different. And it's just, it's about being vulnerable and being transparent and, and willing to accept that maybe what you thought was right isn't. And I know I, I live in that space all the time. And I tell people I'm not an expert. I'm on my own journey. Right. And that's okay. But it's, it's being okay with not, you know, not having all the answers about constantly growing. So I don't know. I don't know if that helps. I guess my, my, I'll ask a challenging question to you. Right. So in yeah. this, in this situation, like I feel like I can have those brave conversations with colleagues and other educators because we kind of understand this code of professionalism, this, this code of I'm, I'm asking a tough question that I'm maybe narrow-minded about. I, I'm welcome for you telling me if I am, but I know that you're going to be respectful back to me. And I think that there's an element of having these brave conversations at the professional level, but what does it look like to go from professional level to actually creating a classroom that represents equity? Because I think... I, as a person, can, and I think there's a, it's a beautiful thing going on right now where there are plenty of movements 
that represent people having the voice and um, what they deserve in many different facets. But when the, the movement goes a little bit quieter, we as educators kind of model the society of inclusive, inclusiveness and equity in the classroom. We model how we want our kids to grow up and create the world to be. And if I'm an educator that may not be in as tune or have those professional level conversations, what are some of those suggestions you have to take that into the classroom to, to create the environment that represents what we want the world to be? So I, I think it, first of all, it starts in, you know, we talk about safe spaces. So it starts with creating or changing your classroom into that safe space. And that, that stems, you know, to be cliche of building rapport with your students. And I, I, I quote Sloan all the time. So Sloan P. Joseph, uh, she and I had a, a show together or conversation. And she said, you know, we got to talk, stop talking about relationships and start talking about rapport because a relationship is just simply like, you know, a connection that people have, but a rapport is built on that mutual trust, right? And so if we can get to that point with our students, then you can start to have those brave conversations with your students. One, as an educator to say, how can I be better as an educator, right? What are some areas that I've, maybe that I'm not having you to to feel welcome in this space, one. Um, but I think as you're saying is having that depiction of the bigger world. And I'll be honest, this is something that, I'm struggling with within my building right now is that so we are on the far west side of Chicago, we're like 99% African American. And so it was very easy, right? It was a very safe space to say, Oh, we need to make sure that when we're having conversations around race, that people are being represented. And it, you know, that was an easy transition. But there's this big push now around, you know, gender inclusivity, right? Sexual orientation. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, ooh. I don't know. Like, should we be teaching our kids about that? I'm like, why, why, why wouldn't we? Like, I'm not promoting something. I'm not saying, oh, you should go out and live this certain type of lifestyle. What I'm trying to do is create children who know how to operate in the world outside. And that is the world that we live in. I don't care whether or not you agree with it. You don't have to agree with it. But we should be teaching our students to be respectful about the people who are around them. Right. And that is what I found myself in. And so every time people are like, I don't know if we should be is like, is that what you're saying? Like that our kids shouldn't respect somebody because they're they're different from them, that they have a different, you know, uh, I don't know, orientation or philosophy or whatever it may be. Like, is that what you're saying? And it's really hard in those times to be like, no, like, I, I think my kids should be rude. Like, nobody's going to say that. But that for me is what it boils down to is. You know, we, we had a parent, so we started doing this work not too long ago, and we it was a lot just about, you know, LGBTQ, and I said, this is a safe space, and for the first time in a long time, like, kids started hearing that, and all of a sudden, we had some students who were like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come out, and I had parents, you, you made my daughter gay, eh, it didn't work that way. Like, this is who she was. And we've created a safe space now where she can be who she truly is. And if that is who she wants to be, like, like I, I can't tell you how to raise your child, but I'm going to respect her decisions or his decisions. And it's really starting to become impactful because now we even have a teacher who is 
said, okay, this is who I am. Right. And I think it's just going to take some time. But I think, again, if we found ourselves in this, my, my just today, a teacher had a mug. It said, I promise to teach my babies to love your babies. And I was like, that's all what this is about. Like, it's not a, what I agree with or I disagree with. It's not my personal stance. It's not about I'm promoting one thing over another. I just want to make sure that my kids know how to operate in a larger world and and get along with people. Like we see that we've seen the chaos, you know, with the, the, the past administration and the transition. And it's not about politics. We just saw the chaos in this country. And that's like, how do we fix that? Right. And it's just about respecting the other person. I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to love you, even though I should. Right. It's about respecting you, even though we're different. And that is what I think that we should be doing with our students. And if you if you disagree with that, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know why you would. But I think to answer your question, Matt, that's how you create that. I'm just trying to teach you to respect people who are different from you. And I, th I think a big part of that is is how to engage in and facilitate and participate in mature conversations where you can where I am comfortable enough to say, Charles, I, I don't, but I disagree with you. Here's why I disagree with you. Here's why I feel the way I feel. I understand your perspective, but this is my perspective and this is how I feel. And this is what I think, you know, it's, there's such a difference between that and, and what we're seeing on a national scale right now, where there is no civil discourse from one side to the other. It, you have to take a side. And if you do, you know, you're the enemy of the other. I mean, that's, that's what our, that's what our kids are seeing. That's what we're seeing as adults from, from the top down, from, from our national politics and just and, and down the local politics. And, you know, I, I think I completely agree with what you're saying about just learning to respect people, learning to operate in a world where you can work respectfully, understand different perspectives, whether or not you agree with those perspectives, but just creating an atmosphere where you can have a civil conversation where you can share how you disagree and then you come to a common ground where you both can move forward. And, and I think it's so important for one, for us to, to create those atmospheres for more of the community to engage in, but also most importantly for the kids to see, to see that, wow, you can have two people that have completely different opinions, engage in a conversation and agree to disagree agree to mutually respect each, you know, there, there should be some sort of positive outcome, even if it's not a perfect outcome, but just, just seeing that conversation, I, I think is, I think is so important. So, um, I don't want to cut this part off, but I did want to, I, I knew that was something you were passionate about. So I wanted to throw the lesson lens away and, and, and talk about that, but I do want to hit you with our Matt, go ahead. Sorry. I just have one, one more question related to this, and then we'll jump into the next segment, last segment. Um, I feel like right now, and I'd love to get your input, uh, two different scenarios, a experienced teacher who likes control is maybe uncomfortable about those, uh, the idea of, you know, almost what you said, like, I, I feel comfortable to talk about racial confusion and, and discomfort, but the sexual orientation is uncomfortable. I want to control the conversation. And I see this going way bigger than what I can handle as well as the new teacher, and I'm using very uh, passionate about it, that maybe doesn't have as much resistance to seeing that middle, like 
what would your suggestions be to those type people to say, you still have to facilitate a classroom that doesn't necessarily represent your views, but allow each side to feel comfortable to bring equity into their classroom and into that conversation. Uh, so Matt, I think you've been hanging out at my building. That's exactly my, my <laughs> <laughs> um, I, as you said it, like, I was like, yep, I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it comes back to this idea, like, it, it's not about our, our personal philosophies and stances, right? Like, I have that teacher who is like, gung ho, like, this is all about like, oh, we, we, we're community, not, I, it, it's that like, I'm trying to put it in a nice way. Oh, uh, but you know, she, she, you know, this teacher is very much like, this is what we're going to talk about. Like, you know, every time I go into the classroom, it, it's like, you know, for example, on Halloween, it's character day, you know, and it was like talking about, um, cultural appropriation, you know? And so it was like, yeah, don't dress up as a native American. That's wrong. And I was like, like, this is, okay. Yes. But like, where is this at in your lesson? Like, how does this fit in? How does this blend in? And so it's always about to say these things are important, but it has to be, I guess, grounded in what is our, what is our main purpose here, right? Like I need to make sure that your, your child is addressing the skills. Like, you know, we talked about those non-negotiables, right? These are the skills, these are the standards. And if you blend those things in, then okay, right? If it's part of, but that cannot be the main focus. Um, And it's also understanding that balance. Uh, You know, it's, Whereas you may be far, like way into that, like to say, okay, you know what? These students may not necessarily be entirely understanding, parents, the community. So you, you kind of have to ease into things. Whereas on the other side, where it's like, I'm not doing that at all. Like you have to understand in order for your children to operate, like we talked about earlier, you, you have to start making that transition. Um, but I think that's then important. Again, I just think about myself as I try to create that space within the school to say, where do we stand as a whole? Right. Um, I'm not. Yes. Like if this is who you are, like you we're going to be welcoming and inviting, but I'm not using every opportunity, every meeting to, to push a personal agenda. That is not why we're here. And so it's about finding that balance and it's, doing so respectfully. Like, I love the fact that you're passionate about this. I love that you want to make sure that our students are not being, you know, culturally appropriating, you know, other, other cultures, I guess, uh, or appropriating other cultures, but you know, like how, why, why, why are we doing this? Like, where's the purpose of that? And I think it's just had finding that balance of saying, yes, it's okay, but we need to dial it back and focus on this thing. And then, and then on the other side, it's how do we make sure that we're we're moving over? And it's 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 all about balance, and it's never about that it's wrong, right? Like, oh, we can't teach those things. I mean, I've had this conversation. I have some people in my building, you know, we were putting up um uh, some some paintings, right? I want to make sure that my my students see themselves, and so we have all these paintings, right? And so, well, as I mentioned earlier, we're ninety nine percent African American. But now there's some Hispanic paintings up. And I was questioned, why, why are you putting those up? Nobody, we don't have any students who are Hispanic. I said, no, we don't, but we have some staff members who are Hispanic. And guess what? When our students leave our building, they're going to interact with individuals who are Hispanic, right? Like, again, I want them to be respectful. And I don't want my kids to be that person who's ignorant when they encounter somebody who's different from them. 
right? And so it's like, it's finding that balance. It's like, no, I'm not pushing anything. This is something that I want you to be able to understand. And it's there, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if I've answered the question. It's delicate. And it's something, to be honest, I'm working through. I'm trying to figure out where, where is that perfect balance and in reading the, the larger world in which we operate to say, okay, how far do we go with this? But it's, it's definitely finding that balance and not ever, ever, ever pushing a personal agenda. I think that's one of the most important things you just said about not, not pushing that personal agenda. It's, it's about the students. It's about educating them, preparing them, like, like you said. So um, our last segment of the show is called The Exit Ticket. Same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Love on them appropriately. I always have to say appropriately. We live in crazy times, Um, but just love on them. Build those relationships, connect with them. It's not, you know, we always talk about it's not like what you teach. It's not the lessons that they're going to remember. It's how you made them feel. And that's it. Like just make that experience amazing by making school relevant and interesting and engaging and yeah, like that's, that's the key. It's beautiful. Um, you obviously have many inspirations, many things that come to mind um, to, to lead to your passion, but it all comes down to advice you've received. Can you kind of share maybe the best piece of advice you've gotten that you think of frequently? And it could be from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student that keeps you keeping your mind right? Yeah. Um, so I guess that there, there's a, a few things. Um, so in one of the, my keynotes that I talk about, so my grandfather, when I was younger, he, he told me this thing. He was like, you know, that people are always going to judge you by the way you look. It's up to you to prove them right or not. Um, you know, and so that has been this like kind of driving force behind everything I do. Um, depending on where you see me or how you see me. So like, you can't see it now, but I have like tattoos all over. Um, and so it's like the whole Hamish Brewer sort of thing. It's like, yeah, like people are going to judge you. Um, so I, I, there's been this passion behind me to say, I, I want to be the best that I can possibly be. Like, so that way, whoever you are, whoever you're judging me, like I, I'm, I know who I'm going to be. Um, and I don't know if it's a, a single piece of advice, but it's always been this idea of just, like if you do the right thing, everything's going to be okay, right? Like, I, and that's all I try to do. Like, as I'm doing all of this work, I'm just trying to do what is right. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, like at least I know at the end of the day, I did what was right. And it's it's that simple. Like I'm in education to educate students. And so that is what I do. I make sure I take care of my people, my staff and my students. And if I know at the end of the day, that's what I've done, then I'm okay with that. And so it's just do what's right. Yeah, that's perfect. So the school year goes in waves, as we know, right? There are definite challenges, um, whether it's conferences or um, report card time. What is something that you think every educator should hear to help them power up to push through those moments of struggle? Can I use my, my, my principal permissions? Um, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I just, yeah, I mean, you know, when we, so we, we do a lot of circles and so we just have honest conversations. So like when I know my staff is struggling and we did this, I 
think two or three weeks ago, we just sat down and we had a circle, community circle, right? And there was a lot of tears, even from me, right? And we just, we were honest with one another. But the next day, like a lot of that stress and that strife was gone. And it's not about saying the perfect thing. It's about knowing we're all in this together. Like, let's get that out and communicate with one another. And you shed that weight. Right. And so I, I don't know if it's like, oh, I, I love quotes. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't know if there's a single quote that's always going to do it. I just think it's community. Like, let's come together and know that we need those moments to to laugh together, to cry together. And it builds that solidarity. And it's that energy that pushes us through. Definitely. I, I totally agree with that. And, and from a, a place of kind of authenticity of, of working towards that, that common goal. So I almost asked this to you, asked you this question probably right in the beginning of the show, because we were kind of on this topic, but it's easy to fall into a pattern of kind of repetitive teaching and facilitating in your classroom. What do you think separates teachers who constantly seek change, innovation, and, and new teaching strategies to innovate their classrooms? I, I don't... Okay, I'll say it. Like, I I hate curriculums, like programs. That's what I hate. When I first started teaching, I had nothing. Like, every lesson I created was built from scratch. And so I built my lessons for the students that I had. And that, I think, made all the difference. So when you have, you know, I I, I always am, I, I dislike it when the district people come in. And they're like, so what's your curriculum? I'm like, well, we have the set standards. And here are all of our resources. Yeah, but what's your curriculum? You're not, that is what a curriculum is. You're asking about what program we use, right? And so you want me to say we use Pearson or Savas, like that is a resource. So I think what bothers me is that when people fall into that rut, right? And so don't view it as that is your curriculum, that is a resource. And I think that is what separates it. If you view it as this program is my curriculum, then you are never going to change because you're just kind of running the same things over and over and over again. Whereas you say that is a resource that I can utilize to teach this skill, then you get to be creative because, okay, well, that's just something I can use, but I could also use these other things. We're about to be on for another hour. To the choir here, man. On that. Yeah. <laughs> that is my, my biggest gripe right you're now. You're coming, it's our, you just booked your ticket to another show. That's, that's a gift. Hey, we can there do we a part go. two. Yeah. Um, I have loved this conversation. I, I know I'm speaking for Ken as well. Um, as we wrap up this ed- episode, I'd love to continue learning and, and being in contact with you. Can you share the best way for us to, to continue this conversation and, and, uh, follow along with you in your educational journey. Yeah. Um, so the, the best place to be honest is Twitter um, at underscore CW consulting. I used to get mad that I had to use the underscore, but it is what it is now. Somebody has the CW and they don't use it. Which is <laughs> that makes it um, Yeah. But you, you could uh, all over on Twitter. That's the best place. If you want to like connect and engage. Um, as I mentioned, there's the, there's the podcast, uh, the counter narrative podcast. It's across so many different platforms. Uh, you can find that new episodes every single Friday. You can catch me through Inside Principal at Inside Principal. Um, that's the, uh, the the web show. Um, and then, of course, you could go to the website. And again, another infuriating. So it's the CW Consulting Service because CW Consulting was taken. Um, but yeah, so but the best place if you want to really connect and interact and engage is Twitter. 
if you follow me, I promise I'll follow you back and you get a little message from me if you follow me. Um, but communicate, like shoot me a message or join, you know, ask me to join a Twitter chat or whatever. I just, I love to talk, as you guys know, obviously from this conversation, I love to talk education and you can't really do that in those other spaces, but I can do it in Twitter. So feel free, look me up. I love to connect. Yeah. And that's, that's how you landed your spot here on the show. I followed you, you followed me back and I got that, that, uh, that message and we engage in conversation and a couple of weeks later, you're, you're sitting here with us. Uh, Real quick, the CW Consulting, is it the same person that has both the Twitter handle and the website that you want? You know, that's a good, I should look that up. Um, but yeah, it was like when I when I went to get the handle, it was like, see, and I was like, okay. So I went and looked and I was like, you have like no tweets. What, why do you have my hand? Like get rid, but now, you know, I've I've done that. So I, I it's on Instagram, which yep. You can follow, like, I don't know what I'm doing on Instagram. My daughter's making fun of me. Um, and I even claimed it on TikTok. I don't know, maybe one day, but. There you go. <laughs> so I'm right. just like, you, I'm going to claim the handle everywhere you, too. Yep. You embrace the, un you embrace the, under the uh, underscore, right? The there underscore. you go. Um, so everything, uh, your website, uh, your podcast and, and your handles and everything will be linked on our website, which can be found at powereduup.com slash show 46. Uh, so that'll all be linked there as well as some highlights and notes from our conversation. Charles, I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation and, and your school is clearly very, very lucky to have you at the helm, leading them uh, towards change, towards doing what's best for students and doing what's best for, for your teachers. So uh, education is, is better as a whole because of the, of the part that you're playing it. So, so thank you for the great conversation. I look forward, I'm going to, I'm going to tune into one of your, your shows tomorrow on my drive in. So I look forward to listening to that. And uh, Matt, why don't you why don't you take us on out of here? All right. So as we power down this episode, Charles, you've left us feeling quite powered up, uh, ready to get into the classroom and, and do what we feel is right for kids. I think um, as you you left that as your your ending message, we've heard that before, but never enough. Um, if you're doing what's right for kids, then you're doing the right thing. So keep up the good fight. Um, do what you can to, to keep yourself healthy, happy, focused, um, and that translates to a good classroom environment. So uh, thanks for being here and everyone have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.